0: Alcohol, the bigger picture. Are you facing the issue in your church of people who say alcohol is good for you? Anybody? Only one? What's happening in um, your part of the world? So they don't talk about it. I'm joking. Okay. Well, what we are seeing is that probably 6% of the church is beginning to take alcohol. Not beginning. And this is coming figures that are coming out of the Adventist health study. Interestingly as well, that as far back as 2000, during the general conference session, there was a survey done which showed that there was a 1.5% of people, up to 3.5 from some parts of the world, who said, Yeah, we 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 take alcohol from time to time. Now I want you to think of something that you're looking at a very specific population that'll go to the general conference session. It's not your backsliding Adventist, it's not someone who's not interested in the church. There's not someone who's not engaged in the church. The people who land up, I'm not saying they're better because they go to general compensation, but they make the effort to go there. And uh, not everyone gets sponsored to go there. So there were people there who felt there was no problem. There are people in the Adventist health study. How many of you filled in that form? Well, there were only. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of us who could have done it—I know Stoy did, I did—and so a good proportion. here did it. But when you think 100,000 people filled in the form, they care about their church, care enough to be engaged in the Adventist Health Study. 6.5%. Six point five percent. Six point? Seven five. Six point seven five. Yeah, I've got spell check here. <laughs> <laughs> 6.75% in the current figures. Those are the most recent figures for North America from the Adventist Health study. And then of course a lot of young people didn't fill in that form. 33% had been drinking before they so came to 33% of people who were no no who were surveyed had been users in the past. We don't know of that 6.75% how many are new and how many were before. But. Um, he asked me it was, what type of uh, alcoholic beverage. All kinds. All kinds. But. <laughs> tequila, wine, vino, beer. <laughs> whiskey the whole nine yards (laughs) now the interesting thing (laughs) (laughs) mercy the last time well you know we must be careful not to be judgmental and I'm not being judgmental in my comments at all. But I think what we're seeing and the question that came about were they users before, I am seeing an increasing tendency in people who've been, who been are second, third, and fourth generation Adventists who are beginning to get involved in taking alcohol. And the ones that I'm seeing are both the adults and also our college students that's what I said you see what I, I pointed out and story is underscoring for us that 6.75 percent is of adults over the age of 30 so we don't have a statistic of our a current statistic of those in our younger age groups and that is a significant problem it's a significant problem in our schools and not only in North America. I was in a division far away from here, one of, our, one of the prominent universities in that territory where they said to me, Doctor, we've got a huge problem with alcohol, drugs, and um, promiscuous sex in our Adventist university. And one of the things that was contributory to that state because I said to them what do you put it down to they said we've stopped screening those who come into the university in other words screening on the admission forms saying do you drink do you smoke those are part of the issues because what's happening is it's now infecting and it's becoming a, a pervasive behavior in the university interesting problem problem is compounded by the fact that our universities and schools are mission oriented and so we like to have other people come to our schools it comes attendant with problems so alcohol the bigger picture is the story over it's an interesting topic to talk about at an Adventist conference and if it's not a problem in, in, in your territories yet it's going to come it's going to come Not because I'm a prophet, but because all of these things move around the world. Just a matter of time. And the young people wake up. The older people say to themselves, what's going on here? It's an engaging topic at a health summit, a needed topic at a Seventh-day Adventist conference. We do need to talk about it. Um, As long ago, well, as long ago for me, as 1983, when I was sitting in South Africa in a little mission Uh, town working, I saw this come out. Alcohol, drugs and Adventists, a sobering report which showed in 1983, people were starting to talk about, how long ago is 1983? Nearly 30 years ago. Next year is 30 years ago. Now we're a little down the pike since then. In 2003, which is nine years ago, nearly ten years ago, nine years ago, we had the privilege of bringing out this special Adventist review called Adventists and Addictions. It was, a, it was actually an award-winning issue in the Christian press where we talked about the issue of Adventists and addictions. And alcohol is one of them. And the response to this, to this magazine was, can't be Adventists. We, After all, we're Adventists. We don't drink. We don't do sex. We don't do Hello? Did you hear what I said? That's exactly what this is about. Do you see that? Don't talk. Because if you don't talk about it, it's not happening. And one of the things that we talked about in our resiliency talk just a little while back was if you don't talk to young people about these issues, they will never talk to you about them. And as pastors, as we plan how we're going to engage our young people, you've got to talk to them about the issues. We said education alone doesn't work. but That doesn't mean you mustn't educate. Dr. Handysides and I were t- together traveling in, a, in an island in the Caribbean. And uh, we'd uh, been at a health, all of us had been at a and Story was with us. We had been at a health advisory. And so they came along to us and said, you're a gynecologist, they said to Dr. Handysides, you're a physician. Come and talk to our young people about sex. Well, we, we're pretty comfortable talking to people about that sort of thing. And so we went to the school, and they were eighth graders. Eighth graders. And so we, we started, and we were talking to them and... Uh, we were a little bit reticent. You know, not reticent, but, you know, here it's a, it's a different culture. And we thought we better be careful how we do this. And then the word condom came up. Ah, oh, and then suddenly the class livened up. Eighth graders, Adventist school. So we said, well, what do you know about condoms? Oh little boy says you can get you get different kinds. You get you get plant type, you get animal skin type, and you get uh, where do you I mean this this kid knew everything and more and they asked us to go and talk to the kids about sex. It says Dr. Handysites talked about the other day, those kids have already been educated in the back streets of the community. In the toilets of the school. What are we talking about in the church? Do we address the issues? Do we talk about it? Do we talk about alcohol? Do we talk about tobacco? Or do we take for granted the fact that we don't? Story's going to talk to you about tobacco in the next talk. And you can listen and hear from a vast experience. We can have the best programs. But if we're not addressing our own people, our own young people, if we're not teaching them, and you know where we need to start teaching them, and that's the issue of Pathfinders and JMVs that we've lost, we need to have them... Do do we have kids filling in the Temperance Pledge? How many of you have signed the Temperance Pledge? How many have signed it in the last five years? In the last ten years? In the last 50 years. You're giving me information. Here's my pledge. Listen, you can get it from my office. Okay, I'll give you the, uh, you can take my secretary's email. You just you just email my secretary. I. No space, shul I and it's Irish Shul. Okay, and then the ICPA website. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's up. ICPA world. Okay. On this And you can print your own. We'll send you the electronics. And all you do is you print it on cards. You get card quality material. And what we've got on the front, it says, recognizing the responsibility to both myself and to others, by the grace of God, I pledge to avoid alcohol and tobacco as well as other harmful substances and practices. Okay? So what we're talking about here is not moderation. We're not talking about moderation. We're talking on temperance, which the definition of temperance, I've got to give the man a moment to finish his work so that he can translate. Okay, this is the International Commission for the Prevention of Alcoholism and Drug Dependency. It's on NGO agency which works in the world with alcohol, drug addictions, and um, advocacy. You can go to that website. It's a new website. It's being, it's being populated with material right now. This is my secretary, Iris Shull. So if you want to get these pledges, you can either email her Shul, S H U L L I, at gc.adventist.org. That's for the Pledge. That's for the Temperance Pledge. And the number is plus one, three zero one, six eight zero, six seven one nine. And we will send it to you. And you can print them and use them and give them out we actually in 2003 I went to Elder Paulson and said I'd like us at this 2003 spring meetings um, I'd like us to sign a pledge now he's a wonderful man and he said a pledge? he thought I was collecting money I said the temperance pledge oh yes certainly he says I'll be the first one to do that And we had all the world church leaders and we signed the temperance pledge. We did it at a general conference in 2010. We had the Surgeon General of the United States there, the same one who was here last Sabbath. She came and did a keynote address. And the world church leaders signed the temperance pledge. Now what is the temperance pledge? What is temperance? True temperance, and I'd like you to translate this carefully now, true temperance, teaches us to dispense entirely with everything hurtful and to use wisely that which is healthful. You see, people come along and say to you, they say, oh, well, just a little bit. I'll have a little bit of wine. Just a little bit of tobacco. Just a little bit of this. A little bit of that. But that's We are to avoid things Ellen White wrote in Patriarchs and Prophets. Dispense entirely with everything harmful. We talk about Adventists and addictions. We talk about Adventists and alcohol. There's a world that is suffering with alcohol issues. We are a little introspective. Here we have another review in January 2006 To drink or not to drink. Suddenly, red wine is being promoted as a cure all. What's the real story? Dr. Brian Bull, previously Dean of the School of Medicine of Loma Linda University, wrote this article. If you go to the Adventist World, November... Adventist World, 2011, November, Adventist World. There's an article on alcohol. Well, thank you for that. But here you're seeing that in the world church literature, we are trying to promote the understanding about alcohol. Why? Because the question's being asked. Because people are saying, I'm reading in the papers. I'm reading in the journals. I'm reading in the Reader's Digest. I read in Cosmopolitan that a little wine is good for you. Well, we know that alcohol is a beverage that people use. It comes from fermentation. It's a social lubricant. When people drink alcohol, it drops the inhibitions. Have you watched people as they drink? Have you ever been in a situation where people are drinking? They begin to act crazily, don't they? Now, as you watch us, you can see that we can be crazy without drinking alcohol. But what people sometimes, you know, it lowers their anxiety, so they feel that they can more readily mix. They're not as nervous as they were but it's used by two-thirds of the world's population. Can your church be a community health center by focusing on some of the issues related to alcohol? Absolutely. Ten percent of these two-thirds of the world population are heavy drinkers. Alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable death. Ah, increase the lipoproteins that are good for the heart. Well, let me tell you, the best way to get the lipoproteins for the heart up is what? Exercise. Exercise. That's why, and I'm so glad you brought that point up. On the one hand, I'm telling you that alcohol is the third, not me, this is the World Health Organization, the third leading cause of preventable death. And there are papers which say "Take, take some wine or alcohol of any kind because it increases your good cholesterol. Is that a mixed message? I'm telling you to take a poison so that you can be healthy. If I'm prescribed a medication, I ask the doctor, what are the side effects? And if he tells me the side effects of this medication is that your HDL, your good cholesterol, will go up. I say, that's wonderful. I can throw my walking shoes away. But then he says, oh, by the way, as my hand is on the door, I'm now going out, now my hand's on the door. Oh, he says, by the way, I just want to tell you that that medication is the third leading cause of death among all the patients. I'm going to take the prescription and say to him, I don't want it. I won't take it. It's a problem. It's dangerous. Get the point? There is a small benefit to the heart, to the HDL. Yeah. But when you look at the huge negative effects, and we're going to talk about that as we go, you be the judge. There's a question. Mm -hmm. No, we know it makes the heart merry. Of course, Solomon also tells us that wine is a mocker in the same Bible. And uh, we are admonished if we would be a leader, Paul writes, avoid alcohol. Is it mocker? No, I said strong drink is raging. It's raging. Strong drink is raging. So let us, you've brought out a very important point. Thank you. You're a troublemaker, but I like you. And for this simple reason if we try and justify uh, abstaining from alcohol purely on a biblical basis, we're in trouble. I said biblical basis. But if we do it on a spiritual basis, then we are right on track. Because the issue related to alcohol is not... Merely the issues related to addiction, accidents, trauma, domestic violence. It's to all of those that it really centers around my relationship with Jesus. What does it do to this portion of the brain which makes the decisions? Even one drink changes that's for the temperance pledge yeah that's what it is even one drink impairs your ability to make good judgments it decreases your reflexes now yesterday fred was talking about sleep and being under the inf- sleep deprivation being under the influence of alcohol Nobody was going to say, well, you know, I think that if, um, you know, uh, I think it would be a, a great advantage because it might raise my HDLs if I was equal to the state of being a little bit drunk. But give it a little time and someone's going to come up with such a, an argument because we want to justify our behavior if we want to justify it. But the real decision is because Jesus and his spirit speaks to our hearts through this portion of our brain. And we really need to keep that clear. Plus, there are all the other issues related to alcohol. Acutely, when people drink, you've seen them. They can't walk properly. They get blurred vision. Their speech is slurred. They, The more they drink, they begin to vomit. Have you seen them? We walked in the streets of Mongolia. Early every morning after we were there to do a a health advisory, and at 6 a.m. in the morning, we would just see vomit all over the street. People who were who were staggering, holding on to each other because they they were they had a terrible night. They'd been sleeping outside all night. Loss of consciousness. People die in the acute stages of alcohol poisoning. I vodka. vodka. But before we point the finger too much at them, it was an eye-opener for us and the work that we need to do. And part of the reason that I'm giving you this talk today is not so that we can point a finger at Mongolia or I know you're not doing that, and I'm not doing that either. But the fingers point back to ourselves. What are we doing? What are we doing to educate our children who are growing up in this environment where it's cool to drink? they're going to watch the Super Bowl on the weekend and the the adverts that are going to have the highest percentage of money put into them are the Budweiser adverts they're the winning ones every year Just a little thought, uh, back in anheuser Bush. Blockbuster video with cigarettes. well we see that and and I pointed out in the issue of resilience whenever there's political unrest uncertainty changes in governments revolutions etc war that's when resilience comes into play because that's when young people are the most vulnerable and you look at countries in Africa where there have been ongoing wars and changes of governments all the time we're seeing huge issues there but we see it all over people are uncertain chronic use leads to organ damage liver brain heart nerves pancreas cancers of the skin and of course, alcohol dependence, a very real issue. Alcohol dependence, alcohol addiction is a real risk. In, if you take 100 people who are naive to alcohol, who've never taken alcohol in their life, you take 100 and you give them their first drink, what do you think the chances of someone becoming an alcoholic or a problem drinker? Out of 100, what would you say? Too high. Too high, too high. Seven, about 7%. Okay? About 7%. One in 15 people. Okay, 7%. Then, if you take it, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know that in my own family, not on my wife's side, but on my side, we've had alcoholics in our family. First degree relatives. So, if I was among that group, my chance of becoming a problem drinker because I've got a first degree relative who had the problem would go up to 15%. Then, and now you really have to use your imagination, if I'm under the age of 15 and I am experimenting, my chances of becoming a problem drinker rocket up to 40%. And that's why I said to you, when you have young people in a gathering together and you, you, you're advising them and, and, and organizing their service and their, their um, activities, don't leave them unsupervised. Because where do kids get their first drinks? Either in their own home or from other kids who have their drinks in their own home. That's where they start. So that's very important. The other thing is, where do the greatest number of sexual encounters take place in the school uh, after school? It's in the homes, where the adults are out. Yes. Time. Pregnancy is three and six in the there you got it. So this is a reality, but alcohol dependence is a very real issue, and not to be laughed at. We've talked about the for those who start drinking before the age of 14. And if there's a first-degree family member, it rises very significantly. The story goes on. Those who have no voice and no choice. And so we see the effects of alcohol on the unborn baby. There are many of them. It's not only the full-blown fetal alcohol syndrome, which results in mental retardation, changes in the way they look, but also learning disabilities. But there are fetal alcohol effects where they don't have the full syndrome, but um, it, it causes a significant number of these problems, mental handicap, small head circumference. They, they suckle poorly. When they're born, they have difficulty in sucking. They, as they get older, they have poor attention. They have learning disabilities because they've been exposed to alcohol while the mother was pregnant. There is no safe dose of alcohol during Pregnancy, not any dosage. None whatsoever. You look at bottles around the world. Very few countries have mandatory labeling of bottles advising this. It's causally related to more than 60 medical conditions. It's recently, and our time is, is pushing us, for many of those conditions now are undoubtedly related to cancer. Cancer of the breast, of the bowel, and and certain other cancers are unequivocally related to alcohol. Four percent of the global disease burden is related to alcohol. It accounts for as much death and disability as do tobacco and hypertension when you view it in the greater society. It can increase the chances of breast cancer by more than 40% overall. There are more statistics coming out. And the the link with colon cancer is now not even debatable. It's absolutely proven. Of course, then came along the French paradox. You, you, you mentioned about the HDL going up. They looked at the French. I think we mentioned this in our talk the other day when we were talking about evidence-based medicine, that um, this question came up I'm not going to cover it again now in this talk but they brought up the issue well maybe alcohol is the reason why the French have less heart disease and of course that led to a lot of other debates and you'll hear that often the argument comes from even Seventh-day Advent as well we should not drink alcohol we must drink grape juice well drink grape juice with grape juice is fine And, and grape juice, you've got to be careful of because if you drink too much of it, there's a heap of sugar in there. Someone looking for some help. Thank you very much. With <laughs> for your your thought. <laughs> and um, where was I? <laughs> the grape juice and you know people then write to me when i when i when we write articles and we talk about not drinking alcohol because of all of its negative things they say my brother you didn't emphasize it people should be drinking grape juice because grape juice has got resveratrol in it and resveratrol is is the real thing and the real deal well what we do is when we write these articles we don't have time to write a scientific thesis in the article But interestingly, if you watch the news headlines in medicine, recently the man who did a lot of the work on resveratrol saying it's so good for you is under discussion. He was fired from the place where he works for dishonesty. So the reason we don't drink alcohol is not to advertise that we should drink grape juice. In his research in his research. He was dishonest in his research on resveratrol. Thank you, Stoy. Stoy's keeping me on track here. Not because he ran away with the secretary in the office, but because he cheated on his research on resveratrol. Interesting. You see, alcohol and the flavonoids, possibly pro but there's also other substances called... Um, resveratrol, which were proposed as being very important. The question was raised earlier. HDL increased by 4 milligrams per deciliter in people who take alcohol. Sure, it does. Triglycerides increase. Fibrinogen, the clotting substance, decreases. This triglycerides is a negative effect, by the way. But there's a 24.7% effect from many of the trials saying this is good for your heart. And that's what a lot of people are coming, they're coming saying come on doc, come on, just you, you know, you see the science, just a, little, just a little bit of alcohol. However genetic issues, the other diseases that people have, diabetes, hypertension, as well as the other side effects including addiction, which is significant, cancer, which is significant, the accidents, which is very significant. All of these mitigate or are reasons why we should not take alcohol as a routine prescription for this condition, for coronary artery disease. The only danger is when you put on your walking shoes and you get out and walk is that you might get knocked over by a motor car. The chances are very small, particularly if you walk on the pavement, on the, side, no, on the sidewalk. Where I come from, the pavement is the sidewalk. Where you live, the pavement is the middle of the road. So walk on the sidewalk. Then along came some researchers and they looked at a whole lot of issues. Apart from this, they asked resveratrol and flavonoids. They're antioxidant, they decrease clotting, and they exert a positive effect on endothelial cells. I'm going to have to change this slide once they review this man's science. Exactly, and I must say I'm not saddened by this at all because this argument to me has almost been a spurious argument to say, well, you, you, you can drink grape juice. Don't, don't worry about the wine. Pray for him. He's, he's stressed. The, the argument is not to say the argument is not to say, well, this is as good as alcohol. The issue is to say, we don't need alcohol. We don't have to shore up other foodstuffs, as as Dr. Handyside said, because we like that evidence. We make the decision based on the evidence which is available to us. Now, I'm going to run you through the confounders. We talked about them the other day. They went in and analyzed these other studies that had been done. A large number. Not all of them, but a large number of the studies. Fifty-seven. And found that they had been inadequately done. That the data had been inadequately processed. And when they ironed out those issues, they showed that there was no benefit to the taking of alcohol and heart health. In, when they reviewed, they reviewed 73 or 80 studies, in 57 of them they found that there was no benefit when they sorted out that data. Is this a secret? Are we the only ones talking about Not at all. But it's the press reports what they want to support. The other thing you need to remember when you're looking at evidence base, you want to look at who sponsored the study. and there's a very prominent writer who writes in many of the cardiac journals who has to give his disclaimer that a number of his studies are sponsored by the alcohol and the wine industry. So remember the data on alcohol and cardiovascular disease are correlative whereas the toxic effects of alcohol are well established. Absolutely, it's dose response related. And when you look at the issues related to cancer, breast cancer came up. Even that is coming under discussion because there are some people, particularly the wine industry, who are, who are saying, well, you know, we're not sure that this is correct, and maybe we need to review this whole thing. But the evidence is that daily intake of alcohol increases the risk of patients, of women, to get breast cancer. Now, can you imagine the sense of this? Remember your HDL? A little bit of alcohol puts the HDL up. So now we have a husband and wife. They come to me and I say to them, you know, I'm really worried for Mr. So-and-so. He should have a glass of wine every day. And the wife says, well, can I do that as well? Yeah, you can have a glass. It's also good for your heart. But on the other hand, your chances of getting breast cancer go up proportionately as well. Uh, yes, and by the way, Mr. So-and-so, I just need to tell you that alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable death, uh, and of course you also will be, sub, will be um, um, susceptible at the chance of getting colon cancer, and uh, of course you can get uh, addicted, and of course you know you might start beating your wife up if you start drinking more, and of course your children might get. Do you hear what I'm saying? What kind of medication is this? It's a poison. It's a toxin. And we need to realize that. Are you going to make more trouble for me? Absolutely. There's a wonderful source. And you can go to the Adventist Review, November 2011. There's some very good references in there. And then, when you email this poor lady here, I'll get it to send you the references. In fact, I'll get it to send you some PowerPoints if you want them. Important to read these and to be aware of them. Thank you for that. The World Health Organization hasn't changed its stance, although they they are acknowledging some of the literature that it's supposed to be protective against coronary heart disease, other cardiovascular and health risks associated with alcohol do not favor a general recommendation for its use. The warnings from the literature are many. The evidence confirms that as little as one glass of wine a day is related to cancer of the breast, of the, of the colon. Overall, it's a dangerous toxin and should be avoided. You know, this world is a dangerous place, not because there are bad people living in it, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. We don't talk about it. We don't share about it. We don't advocate about it. So in summary, there are sobering statistics that warn that moderate daily drinking is a slippery slope that many cannot safely navigate. Heavy drinking is the source of much societal and individual suffering. Problem drinking and binge drinking are on the increase over the past 15 years. Alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable death. You know, we become so immune to figures that it doesn't even doesn't phase us. So what? This is huge. Huge reason not to take it. It causes many diseases and societal ills. There is no data from controlled prospective trials showing the benefit of alcohol and health. Yeah, either way, but because they're arguing the one way, that's the point that I'm trying to bring out. But to be honest and to be have integrity, there is none showing harm. But there is a tremendous amount of of evidence. Okay, I see what you're saying. From those who are taking the small amounts, guidelines deem it prudent to encourage physicians and patients to focus on safe interventions: your running shoes, a little bit of aspirin if you're at high risk factors, get your cholesterol down, get your weight down. Also, I, I went to a. And it takes a lot of love and encouragement. Absolutely right. I mean, it's not only with alcohol; it's with eating; it's with. Whatever it may be, we need to, and you've got the message. Our health ministry is to be the face of a gracious, loving Jesus Christ to a broken world. Whether they drink alcohol, or smoke tobacco, or smoke marijuana, or whatever it is. Or, I went to a meeting last night, and the person who did the worship said, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I thought to myself, yeah, well, you're in great company, aren't you? And we're all sinners. But the issue is spiritual, spiritual. How is that? Good good pronunciation? (laughs) Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God and that's how Paul could write the hope is Christ in you you are not your own you've bought at a price therefore honor God with your body true temperance teaches us to dispense entirely with everything hurtful and to use judiciously that which is helpful The biblical injunction, test everything. Hold on to the good. Peterson writes, do not be gullible. Do not be gullible. So do we know the end of the story regarding alcohol in the church? We don't. But it really depends on how we write it. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? What behaviors are we going to model? Are we going to teach resilience? Are we going to mentor young people? Are we going to get off our comfort zones and get involved with the real needs of touching and caring and making relationships? My prayer is that God will bless us with a new and and renewed, daily renewed, desire, not only to serve him fully in our own lives but to be that conduit of grace to those in every circumstance whatever the habit, whatever the situation and to stop the silence on some of these very important issues This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit,